So hello everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the Web3 Futures podcast. Um, this podcast is actually an extension of the Metopia project and we really want to be diving into all things Web3, ranging from metaverses, DAOs, um, NFT projects and more. So today I am with Federico who is the founder of Claros. How are you doing my friend? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> well thanks for joining. I'm actually a huge fan of um, what you folks are doing over there. Um, I've been following Proof of Humanity for a long time, actually. It was actually one of the first projects that got me really um, into the DAO side of things because I'm a big proponent of uh, universal basic income. Um, but I think before we dive deeper into all of that, how about we just talk about you and how you've gone to Web3? Yeah, sure. So, well, my name is Federico. I am from Argentina. Um, my background is in economics and in philosophy. And um, I started my career in working in the media. I, I was working in a... Um, newspaper um, like a, a writer and the editor and business um, journalism uh, online and so uh, I think it was like 2013 that people started to start speaking you know about this cryptocurrencies you know but back then it was only Bitcoin this internet money and uh, I guess since I was working with startups, you know, interviewing founders and all that, so I was kind of connected to this innovation world. Mm. Um, and I, since I'm Argentinian, you know, Argentina had so many problems with its currency over time, you know, inflation and, uh, you know, economic instability, and also lots of problems with the government, you know, high corruption and all that. So, but then people were starting to, to think about, you know, um, some people, I mean, most people were focused only on Bitcoin and financial applications of crypto, right? It's made payments and all that. But I became interested in this, this, the aspects of governance and how can you use blockchain in order to like structure institutions in a different way, in a mm -hmm. more efficient, more transparent way. Uh, some people were already focusing on how to use blockchain in voting systems, like how to make anti-tampering, you know, uh, anti-fraud voting uh, systems. And, but I thought another element of any community is besides voting, it's like uh, resolving disputes, you know, and the, the justice system. So I started wondering, you know, how can you apply blockchain to this problem uh, mm. for justice inclusion and how you can create a system that works better than what we have. Uh, and that's how Kleros was born. You know, the idea of Kleros was to use Ooh. this, um, idea of um, blockchain and uh, different economic incentives in order to produce a, a justice system that is way faster, cheaper and more transparent than than what exists, especially a system that would help like people from Argentina mm. um, to, let's say uh, you're an Argentinian, you know, and you want to sell your services to, to the world, like a software or you know, design or whatever. And I mean, with crypto, you could, I mean, be paid right by your your client but if there was not a system for resolving disputes I mean, nobody would hire you because who, mm. who i mean let's say a client from germany you know would hire some random guy in argentina i mm. mean what if the guy doesn't do the job as promised you know so you know Claros tried to solve that that problem um and that's how i, I started into web3 and it was mostly about uh, inclusion and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, giving more tools for people like like me. I mean, a random Argentinian guy uh, <laughs> uh, who really cannot have access to to the world. I mean, but yeah, now with crypto you can, and it's like a um, big global meritocracy. That's what got me interested in, in all this. 
It's such an amazing journey. I think you're being super humble when you say all these things um, regarding yourself. Tell us what Kleros does and, and how um, Proof of Humanity came about. Yeah, so Kleros is basically a decentralized court system, if you want. And um, it, um, you know, you, you, now you have people from different, uh, I mean, uh, areas of Web3 building different apps. <laughs> like, for example, some people are building marketplaces for freelancers other people are building uh, you know finance apps other are building you know travel apps or whatever type of lots of marketplaces yeah. and they all have in common one one thing that like they will have or they already have you know disputes among users you know let's say that you hired someone on a freelancer marketplace for doing to do some job for you like some video for your podcast or some promotion mm-hmm. and then you have a dispute with this person i mean uh, smart contracts, they don't understand what's going on. I mean, they, they, they can self-execute as program, but they don't understand if you, I mean, if the guy made the video according to what was expected or not. Yeah. So uh, you need some uh, layer of humans to, to solve this, to analyze the video, to analyze the contract, to analyze um, well uh, everything that was done and see if it complies or not. So mm. imagine, um, so this the, the, the team of this marketplace should they have two options you know <laughs> one of option is like themselves you know uh, kind of uh, resolve the dispute you know with their like see the evidence and see everything which is not decentralized because they would become like the single point of, of failure mm-hmm. and also you know um, it's not their business i mean they don't want to be resolving disputes they want to be growing their marketplace they want to be getting users they don't want to yeah to handle so why, why can't they outsource their dispute solution system to like uh, external third-party neutral agent that like Claros and then they like send the dispute to Claros and Claros uh, well uses a very specific uh, you know crypto economic system of incentives to crowdsource jurors from uh, the internet and then Claros produces a ruling and then this ruling is enforced in the marketplace of, of freelancers, right? So they right. kind of outsource the digital solution process and they don't have to worry about that. So that's the value proposition that Claros can give to this marketplace, but also to all of the other, you know, uh, uh, apps happening and, you know, existing in the, well, Web3 ecosystem, right? So that's mm. our our goal is to fill that space and that need of the digital solution for, for all of the centralized, you know, world. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. And how did Proof of Humanity came um, come about through all of yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. So, one of the use cases of Claros is um, curation. You, you could uh, use like uh, this tool of um, um, court for curating content in a list. For example, mm-hmm. um, we developed in 2019 uh, an app that was called Tokens. It was a token curator registry. So where you could, I mean, let's say. Uh, a team wants to uh, do a decentralized due diligence on the tokens they want to uh, list into their decentralized exchange, right? Mm. So they could, I mean, do themselves the due diligence as any exchange does, <coughs> or they could outsource this due diligence process to an external agent, right? As you know, this marketplace outsourced, you know, their um, resolution process. So the exchange could outsource the compliance with the due diligence to an external agent. So this is how it works. Let's say I want my token to be listed into this exchange. So I make a submission of uh, the token with, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I fill a form and I make a deposit. And now anyone who uh, is from the community can 
challenged my submission if they think it doesn't comply with the rules. And if my submission gets challenged, this goes to a court it declares, right? So, and this, after the court decides, okay, this submission, uh, this is a submission, this is the, the, the challenge, and these are the rules. So does this comply or not? If the submission complies the, with the rules, the submitter wins and then keeps the deposit of the challenger and then the item is gets into the list, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And if the challenger wins, it keeps the submitter's deposit. So this is a quite, you know, complex economic system for incentivizing people. And <laughs> this app started in 2019, it's still working, and it's yeah, decentralized due diligence or compliance, if you want, app. So, well, this same system that was designed by, mostly by my co-founder, Clément Lesage, uh, so this system um, could be applied to lots of different things. And mm. one of those things is, you know, verifying if some users are, um, you know, are bots or humans, and also if they are or not duplicate into a list. For example, you know, mm. one of the main problems that we will have in the future is um, how do we identify if some user of the internet, if some Telegram or Discord user is a human or a bot, right? right. Um, so, especially in a world where we are going to have more and more deep fakes, you know, and this yeah. is going to be hard to, you know, identify. So let's make a list of every single human in the world. Um, this uh, list, after it's done and it has a, a good integrity because there are no fake profiles or everything, you can use this for lots of different things. Yeah. One of those things is how to distribute UBI to people around the world, right? So that's mm -hmm. one of the use cases. Uh, another use case is about um, you know, you have DAOs and you have more and more people voting on in DAOs and uh, you need, in order to have the voting uh, not compromised or not tampered with, I mean, you could always do one token, one vote, but yeah. some people think that it's plutocratic because it gives rich people more, more votes and more power. <clears throat> but if you want to do one person, one vote, as mm. we understand in democracies, I mean, you have the problem that how do you make sure that some guy doesn't make like one million accounts and votes with all of those accounts and, you know, so proof of humanity gives every human only one account. So mm. now you can be sure that, um, every vote comes from a single individual and it's not, um, you know, there's, there's no tampering with that. And humanity makes sure that the list is going to be updated at in real time and will provide true information for all of these DAOs that want to use it for their governance system, right? Right. So this is another use case. So and there are others, I don't know, uh, I mean, how much do you want me to keep yeah, <laughs> no, I, use I, cases or you want to dig? <laughs> I have a couple of questions from that. So. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, we've spoken about um, the fact that we could have one person, one vote. So uh, proof, proof of humanity have one person, one vote, correct? Yeah, correct. So there's a lot of different types of mechanisms, right? But for, before we dive into that, I want to talk about the DAO in general, right? What is proof of humanity kind of um, DAOing over? You know, what are they discussing? What are they deciding on? So proof of humanity is it's a great, you know, experiment in blockchain governance. Uh, yeah. And uh, because of, of, of all the dynamics, so Proof of Humanity is a DAO itself. And when we launched Proof of Humanity, we, so we wanted to do um, an approach, you know, of early decentralization, right? To try mm -hmm. to start as soon as possible with more power 
into the hands of the community with a one person one vote um, scheme so mm. let me tell you something it doesn't work <laughs> because <you> just... <laughs> so what's what, what happened is that we started having you know a lot of i mean trolls in the community um right. uh, um you know many of the problems that you see in traditional like political systems you know dem mm. demagogue behavior and you have uh, people you know uh like thinking this is like a nation state government and so uh, doing speeches about you know uh very high level you know issues that have nothing to do with the with the dao itself and what the purpose of the dao and the uh, so the, the dao ended up like a, in like a two factions Yep. where one faction wanted something and the other one wanted a different thing yeah and uh, after a lot of you know drama uh, and you know uh, in fight and discussions uh, well now there is uh, there was a vote to do a fork and now right. there's going to be uh, two DAOs one uh, with holds xyz number of ideas and principles and things that they want to implement and mm. another one with another set of of ideas and principles they want to implement and right. well, we'll see how this evolves, you know, in the end, I, I mean, maybe one of those wins because it provides a better service, maybe mm -hmm. both, I mean, are going to still coexist and will cater to different uh, segments of users. I mean, all in all, this is a really fascinating experiment on DAO governance, you know, uh, right. uh, everything is, um, yeah, I mean, we're learning a lot, especially because this is, a, I think, to my knowledge, the first experiment of a DAO uh, using one person, one vote. Uh, yeah. So there's lots of things to learn from that. So in terms of the two different factions, right? Um, there's obviously you know uh, political infighting with you know one faction wanting one thing, another one wanting another. So in terms of maybe a different type of governance mechanism instead of like a one person, one vote, is there any uh, party or any anyone in the community that's suggesting something else, like maybe a liquid democracy or maybe like a reputation-based governance? <laughs> So the, the liquid democracy that was already implemented, I mean, I mm -hmm. think both uh, agree with that, both sides. So uh, people could delegate their votes to people, mm -hmm. but then, um, so I would say that that's agreed. Uh, reputation that was not discussed, but I think most, I mean, discussions is about, I mean, yeah, one person, one vote is perfect, uh, but you know, it's not for everything and it should mm -hmm. not maybe be this only mechanism into the DAO. Maybe you right. want one person, one vote for some things, but maybe you want, you know, one token, one vote for other things, right? right. And maybe you want, maybe even if you want one person, one vote, you still want some thresholds of uh, votes that are required to make some special changes, you know, you need some mm. quorum of people voting. In the case of global humanity, I mean, there was not really a very clear governance. It was like majority uh, ruled everything so let's say mm. uh, you want something to happen and then you propose a, a vote and then <clears throat> the vote happens and then you win with 51 percent against 49 percent but you know only one percent of people voted yeah. I mean, so what does this actually mean you know that exactly one percent of so there is 15,000 people registered maybe 200 are kind of more or less active in the the community but only 50 are like you know um, really people who know what's going on and they you know so and then so you have like one percent of those fifteen thousand, which <laughs> not of all of them will know what was going on because yeah. when there was like a important vote 
people would like call, you know, or maybe some of them control their grandmother, you know, account. And mm. so the grandmother who has no idea what's going on in the DAO, she doesn't know yep. what the DAO is, yeah. but she would vote for one of the. So it kind of ended um, in a situation like where those kind of, you know, all the politics tactics were implemented, mm. which was really kind of enlightening to see how, you know, we're, yeah, we're all into this to disrupt, you know, transform politics. And, you know, in the end, they start doing exactly the same things that they are <laughs> exactly. Totally, we saw exactly that, you know, it's it's that, you are in the end, we are humans, you know, technology changes, but, you know, we, still are, we are still humans, I guess. Right, so in terms of um, what you've spoken about, about the participation where you would have like 1%, I think the statistics for the top 100 or top, yeah, top 100 DAOs, the participation rates are less than 1% on average, right? So the question now is like, how do we encourage that participation if we can? Uh, I think that, you know, um, we could learn a lot, you know, from maybe here from, you know, traditional uh, politics, right? Mm. I mean, how do uh, people incentivize voters for turnout, you know, um, to go to vote, you know? I, I come from a country where um, vote is mandatory, so you should go to vote, even if you don't care, you don't like, you know, whatever, you have to go to vote because you are, it's, a, it's your, your duty. I mean, if you mm. don't go to vote, it's not that you're not, you don't get into trouble or anything, but, you know, people have the idea that they should go to vote. <coughs> but, you know, in the, in the end, you know, I guess, what is the way to make people do things? You know, it's giving them the incentives for, for them to, you know, um, do those things. I mean, if I think that my vote in a DAO is going to make a difference to how the DAO is running, but if I think my voice is going to count for something and my vote is going to count for something, mm. some change, well, I kind of have more incentive to, to go and to get involved and, and, and yeah, participate. Yeah. If, I mean, otherwise, just not. I, I don't think, I don't think that this is different to maybe one of the like uh, problems that they face in real, you know, politics, you know, how to, and, you know, also it seems to be true that people are like uh, disenchanted with the traditional politics and they are kind of fatigued, let's say, and they don't want to go to vote because they, mm. people have the idea that whatever they vote, you know, it's still the same people in power and it's not going to change anything. Uh, so I, I hope that, you know, DAOs, I, an important thing for me, I think, is that in DAOs it's a bit different because if you don't like your DAO where you are participating, you can like go to another one or the DAO yeah. can fork and it's like you kind of have a better choice of communities where you can participate and you're not like, I mean, if you in the mid world, if you were born in a country, you know, you live in that country, you can move, but it's not easy, you know, in a DAO, you can vote with your feet way easier than in mm -hmm. the mid-world so that would mean that if you stay in, the, in a community is because you kind of have some motivation to be there and yeah. i would think that you have more interest in, in getting involved and, and vote it's just mm -hmm. a hypothesis but yeah uh, maybe yeah that that's what i think about that so yeah i definitely think that you know incentives are um, really important especially in web3 and DAOs in general right like with participation rates so low question is how do we incentivize and I think one of the reasons that I've or, or one of the things that I've come across is um, creating incentives through Solvon tokens or establishing web, uh, web3 reputation right so when we're looking at 
uh, communities or the you know 100 or 200 people that are still active in the community right when they're making uh, uh like articles or memes or something in community outreach you know we can kind of give them these uh credentials to kind of prove that they've done the work and then therefore as a result maybe have more voting power because they've they've contributed to the ecosystem so have you had thought about that yeah of course i mean there are different things in what in which you can like um implement that i mean for example you could uh, give them points based on you know mm. some objective pattern um of doing articles or memes or whatever but another way to go about this is like um you could uh, so if you have a liquid democracy system then you kind of already have something like that in place because if people can delegate the votes to those who they trust mm. they kind of already do that typically to people who are involved and who spend time in the community and that they produce some value so these are like two ways to go about i mean i'm probably both are, are, are have some value um i think the problem with the, the one about giving like a, a points uh, it's i mean how do you measure this and you have mm -hmm. lots of questions about you know uh, yeah you know but i really spent like five hours in my meme and you did like mm -hmm. a 15 minutes meme i mean why should yours count as much as mine right. uh, you will have you know that's a use case for claros actually you know how to determine <laughs> i mean how much you know <laughs> that a meme should count for for voting power so yeah. this is an approach that i think can can work and the other one about delegations is kind of a proxy to to that um, right. it's also true that you know i might be great at doing memes but I can be very bad at, you know, politics and I can be very bad mm. at understanding what's good for the DAO in the long run. So one of the, the things that happen in the like, uh, like the liquid democracy scheme that, and you can see this in the real world and you can see mm. this in DAOs mm. is that, you know, some people are like very important for in social media because they spend all of their time you know in twitter and they have lots of friends there and on you know, instagram or whatever but you know they are not good at deciding the technicalities of what needs to be i mean decided in, in dao votes so right. it's kind of you know the idea of populism uh, happening in the traditional you know politics is definitely yeah. going to happen in the web3 um and you know so having lots of votes delegated to you means that you are a good decision maker, or it just means that you are popular and you have popular. a lot of friends. <laughs> and that's a, that's a that, you know that's a question I mean to, to ask. That's that's really an important yeah. question because we're going to see more and more of this of this kind of of things. Yeah, we've definitely seen it um, in politics, like in in the United States, where we had um, you know Donald Trump and a lot of these uh, celebrities, you know, running for office, right? And political clout or or social clout is is very influential at the moment right so for me personally i don't like to um listen to the advice or the talking points of these kind of celebrities right because they're just like us but they just have a bigger platform um and you know i mean this is this has been a problem of politics since the very early days you know plato uh he has you know lots of um ideas about um how you know <clears throat> Populism can hurt, and this, the Greek were very concerned about this because they had this, this idea of demagogues, and mm. you know Plato even produced like a, a, a word for this. He, he called like you know he was very skeptical of like what we, we would call one person one vote democracy, <laughs> and he was so he said that this type of, of of you know regime 
tended to, I mean, uh, become what he called a theatrocracy. You know, the the, the, right. the, the Greek theater. So what now we have now, if he was alive now, he would call it, you know, Instagramocracy or TikTokocracy or something like that, because um, he said, you know, lots of people go to a theater and if you are uh, good, I mean, uh, at, at, at making like plays and, and using art to defend your political views, I mean, you can get lots of political clout and support, even if you have no idea of how to run a mm. state, right? So that those concerns about populism and demagoguery that were very important for Plato and Aristotle and the Greek 25, uh, you know, 100 uh, years ago, are still the same problems that we face now. And um, you know who was very worried about this too? You know, the founding fathers of the US, you know, this idea of the faction and having mm. some demagogue get into power. And that, that's why, you know, that's why they made a lot of um, institutions to prevent that some demagogue would like take over the, you know, the, the, the state, uh, you know, and even if they wanted to build, I mean, some people think that they didn't want to build a democracy, they wanted to build a republic. Uh, but <laughs> the idea that they had is that um, they didn't put, you know, um, one person, one vote everywhere. I mean, they actually put it in not many places, you know, they put an electoral college because they didn't trust people uh, with their vote. They made, you know, Supreme Court because who knows if, uh, you know, the, the the Congress is going to start voting crazy things, you know, lots yeah. of different things um, of what we would call now like mechanism design to mm. prevent political system from being taken by you no know, minority special interest. Mm. While at the same time being sufficiently open for still having people, you know, for not betraying the ideas of the revolution in the end. I mean, they didn't want to make another monarchy, but without the English, you know, it just so all of these questions are of designing of institutions are the same questions that we like uh, ask ourselves, you know, now when we are trying to to figure out how to govern DAOs. Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely a century old problem, you know, where um, the founding fathers have tried to form some sort of system and here we are you know trying to reform it right and it's trying to find that sweet spot um so you know praise to uh, the the team at uh, proof of humanity who are trying to do that so i want to shift over to ubi um why ubi and what's the way forward with ubi so ubi is one of the applications that can benefit from this idea of having a list of one person one account in 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 proof of humanity because if you want to distribute ubi then of course you want just want people to get it once and not having a lot of different accounts and control and getting lots of ubis that, that wouldn't work so the main idea of ubi people already know it because it's okay machines taking over you know uh, lots of jobs and you know uh, technological unemployment and all mm -hmm. people know so this confronts humanity, you know, with the necessity to, you know, try to give people some basic, I mean, uh, means of surviving, at least some basic, you know, income to put you in a good position to then try to do other things, but, you know, at least cover some basic uh, needs of life. So the thing is, how do you, how do you distribute this? Um, one of the traditional ways to do it it's like, you know, you have philanthropists um, in rich people from somewhere and they want to send people, you know, to, to send money to people in like uh, Africa. So 
how do they do this? I mean, they could send money to like on NGOs or governments in Africa or, but you know, this has lots of intermediaries. This has mm. lots of corruption. They, you, they, for each $100 they send, you know, maybe people just get, I don't know, $10 or whatever. So this is problem. <clears throat> Another way to do it. What if we gave every person in the world who has a WhatsApp account or you know, Twitter account or whatever, <clears throat> I mean, what if we distribute UBI through that? Mm. Okay. But you know, that's better than, you know, having to do it through governments and through like uh, uh, traditional banks, it's going to be more efficient. But in the end, what's going to happen is that you will put the UBI distribution in the hands of a, of, 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 of a big company, you know, big tech, you know, Facebook would become the big, you know, intermediary of distribution of UBI, which is not great. And also, let's say you are, I know, uh, from Cuba, I mean, the president of Cuba, and you don't want, you know, your people to receive, you know, UBI from Americans or from other country, you know, you could perfectly block, you know, them from receiving that, that right? Mm. A lot of countries are going to do this because they will see this as an influence from you know external agent whatever so what if you do this through crypto you know zero friction everyone can get a wallet a crypto wallet gets payment done at every second or every minute or every month in your mm -hmm. wallet no one can censor it no one controls it because no one can you know shut it down so this is like uh, becomes a piece of infrastructure of humankind right and uh, everyone gets it no matter what because in the, the idea of universal basic income is that it's universal yeah uh, so everyone gets it and there are no distinctions and so everyone will get it and that's why you would need a registry of people that are unique not duplicate in order to make this ubi distribution and that's what proof of humanity can provide i want to ask about universal basic income in the real world right I first came across universal basic income in about 2019 when Andrew Yang was running for president. Um, how have you seen the development of UBI in, in, in the past few years? I have been following UBI for, for a long time now. I was living in, in Singularity, I seen in, in uh, Silicon Valley. I went to Singularity University 2016. And back then, <coughs> Combinator was already doing an experiment of how to distribute UBI uh, it was not UBI, but in, in universal basic income to people in um, Oakland, I think. So, right. and to see how people behave, you know, these people are going to what? I mean, play video games all day, or they are going to use their time they have now uh, to do some to do some job training or something like more productive with their lives. Mm. So, I have been following this for a long time now, maybe ten years, um, and people did experiments in different places, uh, and um, so. Now we have crypto, now we have um, proof of humanity. So now we can make this happen for real. And um, the question is like, how, the question is how do we finance this? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, you can distribute a token to people. I mean, uh, you, you can distribute as many tokens as you want if you have the list, but how do you have this token have some value? And this is where big questions start to, to pop um, where I mean, we need to design also a mechanism that doesn't rely on philanthropists to mm. finance UBI. We need to make a mechanism where, let's say, some X amount of the transaction fees made by Ethereum or by some DeFi app, they just go to finance UBI. 
Okay. Let's, I don't want to use the word tax, but it's kind of a tax that people pay <laughs> when they use some DeFi stuff or some transaction. And this can go to um, people who need it. And this will, I believe, increase the legitimacy of crypto everywhere in the world, you know, because they will see that this is not just a money game for rich white people. This is like a infrastructure that yes it's a bit of a speculative you know finance stuff okay but still this is providing you know uh, useful income for lots of families around the world and that would really lead to more adoption and would lead to more legitimacy which is something that i think the web3 ecosystem is like a really badly i mean in need right now after all of the scandals we had in 2022 people in web3 don't necessarily like to use the word tax but and um, what yang was saying <laughs> Um, in 2020 was um, how the United States, for example, don't even have something simple like the VAT tax, right? Where you would have a sliver of every single transaction um, of, you know, every cost of good produced, right? So I, I, I actually think that the idea of having maybe um, a tiny sliver of every Ethereum uh, transaction may actually work for, um, for UBI, right? To, to be able to fund it because it's unsustainable, you know, having all these people fund the projects. Um, as, did, yeah, did, but did you know, see... you know, well, well, just one comment about that. You know, in the end, it will be the governance of these <clears throat> platforms. You know, Ethereum or you know the DeFi protocols that implement this. So they would have to vote on this, and they would yeah. have to make the argument on this. And you know, I, I, I mean, I'm a libertarian, but I mean, not the hardcore, you know, Rothbard libertarian, more like Hayek. I always thought that some taxes are okay. So to finance some public goods that are necessary for, I mean, very minimal state, you know, I don't, not that guy who believes that government should redistribute wealth on a massive scale. But, you know, about UBI, there is an argument, you know, um, from the libertarian side, uh, Milton Friedman was um, kind of also, now. no one is going to accuse Milton Friedman of being a socialist, you know. <laughs> so Milton Friedman was in favor of, of uh, UBI in the sense that yeah. he used to say that he preferred to have UBI rather than an inefficient welfare state. You know, in UBI, you at least give everyone the same and you don't have more distortions into the economy, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to have a bureaucracy of government implement, you know, a redistributive, you know, plans or whatever. So just, okay, you know, you have to do this. You got, everyone gets the same and this is taxed in this way, in a simple way. And then that's how it works. So that is better than having, you know, this big government doing lots of different things in a very inefficient way. Uh, and so from that perspective, I kind of, I'm a supportive of, I'm supportive of, of UBI coming from like more of a libertarian uh, angle, right? And and yeah, I'm I'm okay with with that, you know. Yeah, definitely. And and my last question I want to ask you, and this is going to be an open-ended question, <clears throat> but what would Plato think about um, uh, the whole Web three space right now? I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of Plato. Plato was actually kind of a, you know, a, people think that he was a fascist, you know, admirer of fascistic, you know, uh, government. I mean, there is this book by Popper, Karl Popper. He's called Open Society and Its Enemies, and he bashes Plato as you know, as some kind of you know, um, fascist. You know, he wanted to have a, a society, you know, of uh, yeah, super, you know. Yeah, I mean, not not great. I mean, I'm more like into Aristotle camp. <laughs> I, you know, that's a good question. What would you know the Greek think? I think the Greek would uh, 
I think the Greek would be very interested in all of these experiments of governance that we are having now. <clears throat> they would, uh, they were very interested in the politics, and they had this mm, system where people could participate in the, in the assembly. And the Greek also were scared of, you know, <clears throat> on the one hand, dictators, you know, full concentration of power. In this case, you know, maybe they would say, yeah, you know, Zuckerberg is the dictator. <clears throat> maybe he's enlightened. I mean, he, he doesn't want harm to his users, but, you know, he's in a big structure where, you know, he's kind of a cog in this machine of, you know, centralized control. <clears throat> and on the other hand, I mean, they would want, you know, democracy. They didn't like democracy. They had a different word. They, 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 because democracy, that's what they wanted to avoid, you know, this demagogue, you know, uh, system where, you know, got a couple of, you know, popular guys with the control, you know, vote. They were very, very worried about that. So they called, you know, the word they used was isonomia. Isonomia means equality before the law. So that's mm -hmm. the idea they had um, as the good political regime. And, you know, I kind of think that what is going to happen in coming years is like we are going to start building, you know, republics of DAOs. You know, this book by Balazs, Network State, is kind of ushering this era where we start having, you know, these this DAOs, these communities start to become like, a bit like governments. I mean, political units in the sense that we spend more time online, we spend more time in these communities. So what is the actual belonging that we have? You know, mm. Is it to my local community who I have no idea who lives next door? Or is it this DAO where I participate very often? I have, I mean, opinions, I vote. I mean, maybe as more and more parts of our life and of our identity move to these you know, communities, I mean, maybe, well, we will start to care more and more about, about that and how life is structured in that. So I guess some Greek philosopher would like be interested in those kind of, of questions. Mm. Well, that's the perfect way to end this beautiful conversation that we've had. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate what you've been doing for the Web3 community. Um, and I love all your insights. So to wrap things up, anything we should look out for, what's happening on your end and where do we find you? Sure. Well, you can find me on the on Twitter. I mean, uh, Federico asked. Uh, then you can follow Cleros, uh, Cleros uh, io. Uh, then we are, have a bunch of new different things on store for 2023. Most important of all, maybe is the launch of Cleros 2.0. That is a version that's faster, cheaper, and with better you know incentives than the previous one. Uh, so yeah, really excited about this year. And well. Hopefully, you know, crypto as an ecosystem can sort its shit, let's say, and, uh, <laughs> and become the force of good that uh, we all want it to be. So I guess that's that's my wish for, for this year. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure the listeners um, will find it very insightful. So I'd just like to say a big thank you, and I really appreciate it. Awesome. See you next time. See you.